You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, Merry Christmas to you. Now, I, uh, you know, when you get rain like this, you have either two reasons people come, you know, because you just love Jesus and you're not going to let the elements keep you from coming and worshiping. Or you think, well, it's a crummy day, you might as well go to church. So either way, I don't know why you're here, but I, I hope it's for a good reason. I, um, I'm into the Christmas season, surprise, surprise. But I, I know a lot of people, you get older, you get a little scroogey on it, and, and I understand why. Not everybody's excited about the Christmas season. I, I mean, have you done your Christmas shopping yet? I mean, right, right, the question comes to your mind is, who, who made Christmas shopping a contact sport? I mean, Holly and I were over at Target getting some uh, stocking stuffers for our grandchildren. And, and I got the cart out, pulled the cart out, and I have the cart following Holly like, like I, I should. And she's looking at something, and I turned around, and I was looking at someone, I turned around, somebody had stolen the cart. And I went, what happened to the Christmas spirit? I, I, I read this one article about this. After a day, this family rushing in the mall, doing all their shopping, had a little girl with them, and finally got home late, rushed her up to the, her bed, put her in bed, you know, and just in time for them to hear her prayers when she was kneeling by her bed saying, Heavenly Father, forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. I mean, the season gets a little bit confusing for a lot of people, and you forget that this whole season, it, it's, it's about a story about a true story. My, my favorite comment on Christmas was actually by somebody that you don't think about Christmas, Carl Sandburg. Wasn't a believer, but, but he wrote this about Christmas. A baby slung in a feed box in a barn. In a Bethlehem slum, a baby's fist, cr- uh, first cry mixed with a crunch of mule's teeth on Bethlehem Christmas corn. Baby fists, softer than snowflakes in Norway, the vagabond mother of Christ and the vagabond men of wisdom, all in a barn on a winter night, and a baby there in swaddling cloth on hay. Why does the story never wear out? I mean, that story's been being told and celebrated for 2,000 years now. And nobody's changing the story, editing the story. It's the same story. And yet, from children up, it is still being celebrated again and again. It was a little over 200 years ago, Joseph Moore. Joseph Moore was a young pastor of a little church, and he was only 26 years old. This was in the city of Obendorf, there in Austrian town. And there he pastored this little church with his friend. His friend was Franz Gruber. Franz Gruber was the schoolmaster there of the little school and also played that antiquated organ in the little village church whenever it worked. Well, the year was 1818, over 200 years ago, and a group of wandering actors apparently had come to Obendorf to, to do a play for the nativity scene. This is 200 years ago. But because the organ was already still broken and strewn all over the floor of the little village church, they went ahead and played it in a home. Well, I guess Moore was so deeply moved that he later walked among the foothills there of the Alps and looked over the small village on that quiet, still night. And his mind was inspired to the lines of a poem. The next morning, he actually gave this poem to his friends Franz as a Christmas gift. 
Well, that Christmas Eve, they gathered together in their little church, still with the organ broken, but Franz brought his guitar. And he had taken that Christmas gift, that little poem given to him by Joseph Moore, had put a tune to it, called his friend up, and for the first time, the two men sang this song, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright, Round yon virgin, mother and child, holy infant, tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. Silent Night has become one of the most celebrated Christmas songs, actually, for the last 2,000 years. But, you know, sometimes people don't listen to what they're singing. Again, what other month of the year you can go through the mall and hear Neil Diamond pump through the sound system singing this song. And he sings the last phrase, the last stanza, right there in front of everybody in the mall. And there's all kinds of different arrangements of it by different people. But it's part of that ending of the song. Most people will sing it. They don't have a clue what it means. And they're not too sure they even believe what it means. Because it's the center of the whole story. The last line of the last stanza simply says, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Now why is that night called a holy night? Why is this a holy infant? And how could you ever say that a child, an infant, would be Lord at its birth? Well, here's the question. If, 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 think through with me. If divinity was actually going to invade this world, how would he do it? How would it do it? Adam came into this world Without a father and a mother, Eve came in this world without a father. Uh, you and I, we come in this world with a father and a mother. But then there's Jesus. How would divinity come into this world? The apostle John, who is very close to Jesus, John, he writes in his gospel. Remember how it starts? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And everything that came into being came through him, the word. No, 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 wait, wait. He says, in the beginning was the word. The beginning of what? The beginning of the beginning before anything was created. Angel, land, galaxy, solar, before anything was created, God was there. But he wasn't alone. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. You want to know why it's so important? Because John later writes in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. I mean, the very nature of God and it's always been is love. But love is basically caring for the well-being of another. Now, before all creation, God was alone. But God is love. But love is caring about the well-being of someone else. What if there is not someone else then God can only care about his own well-being, and that's called narcissism, not love. But that's why John says, oh no. The word, the logos, was always with God and participated in the creation of all things. But then, Christmas, verse 14 of John 1 says, and then the word became, do you know the verse? The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of and the only begotten Son, the Son. 
Now wait, I thought he was the Logos, the Word. Now where did he get the word Son? Well, can you picture, here is God and the Logos existing before anything created. And they're going to have to explain to us what kind of relationship they have. And maybe one good description of a relationship that maybe we would understand is a relationship of a father and a son. And a son to a father. And that's why he said, this day I will begin to call you son. That's why he's the only monogenes, the only one of a kind, the only son of God. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. Now here's the question. How would the word, if the word is the creator, God, divinity, how would he take on flesh? How would he come into his creation? That's, that's like a painter becoming part of his painting. How do you do that? Because if he just shows up and has a mom and a dad like everybody else, well, then he's going to be polluted like everybody else in humanity. He's going to be born just another human being, another sinner who needs forgiveness, who has a broken nature. Remember, we got that one from old Adam. So that we have this great capacity to ignore our creator, turn our back on him, and live for ourselves. He would be just like us. So when the word became flesh... Divinity came into this world. The painter came into his painting. How would he do that? And would it have anything to do with being a holy infant? Lord at his birth? Well, there's only four possibilities. One is that he could have had a good father and a good mother, born just like the rest of us. Only problem with that is then he would have a broken nature just like the rest of us. <laughs> Innocent, purity, no, he could die for himself for the wages of his own sin, but he can never be your savior. He can never be my savior, much less the person sitting next to you. They could die for you, but that's, they couldn't die as your savior because they're just like you. Matter of fact, Romans tells us that in chapter five, that, that through Adam, all sin and all sinfulness came through Adam. So he could not have come just like the rest of us with a father and a mother, well, the second possibility, he could have been just ushered directly from heaven. Say, oh, is that possible? Well, that's how he's going to come the next time, is he not? So when Jesus, he could have just come from heaven, boom, hi, and I'm here to talk to you. And he would have gotten our attention, I'm sure. But the fact is, if he did that, then he would never have become one of us. Matter of fact, listen to what, what the Hebrew says. It says in chapter 2, since then the children share in flesh and blood. Who do you think the children are? Hello, anybody home? I know it's the first service. It's us. So he says, so the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery their whole life. So he wanted to become a human being. You can't become a human being if you just, boom, usher a second coming right from heaven. So he couldn't have done it that way. Third possibility, well, maybe he could have invaded a body. Kind of like those scary, you know? All of a sudden, you have the spirit of the Lagos, and he picks some poor schmuck, and he just kind of possesses him. Now, you know, that's not that far out because one of the more popular religions in the early part of Christianity was called Gnosticism. 
And that's exactly what they believe happened. The, 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 the Logos, the Christos, found this guy, this poor little carpenter, Jesus, and came upon him, possessed him, and then was with him for three years. But God, but this poor guy, Jesus, because when he gets in trouble with Rome and he gets crucified, guess who takes off? He leaves the poor guy to die on his own, which I think is really poor. <laughs> but the fact being is this, that's what the Gnostics believe, but here's the problem. Then that means that there was never any savior. There was no one who was perfectly innocent who died in your place for the forgiveness of your sin. And you're as much trouble now as you've ever been. So that's not the way he would have done it. Well, there's only one other possibility, and it would be absolutely unique that somehow he would have a mother that would carry him in her womb, but his father would be the God of the Most Highest. There literally he'd be the son of God in her womb. No earthly father, no inheriting Adam's DNA or his broken nature. In other words, he would be a holy child. All the word holy, all it means, doesn't mean I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls who do. That, that's not holy. My dog is holy if that's what holy means. The word holy literally means cut away, different from. So when the Bible says God is holy, all it's saying is God is different from you and me. This child was a holy child because this child was different from all other children. Because this child's father was God the father and he had no earthly father. You say, whoa, 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 I know biology. How, how does that happen? Well, over 700 years before, there was a prophet. His name was Isaiah. He lived in the south, southern Palestine. And they were basically, he was in, they were in trouble. You see, the kings of Syria and the northern kingdom had attacked the southern kingdom of Judah, where Isaiah lived. And they were turned back. But another invasion was coming. And so God is trying to encourage the king of, of Judah, southern Palestine, basically, that God's going to be with them and they don't have to be afraid of another invasion. They're going to survive. But Ahaz is being a real dud. Matter of fact, it's in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as shield, as high as heaven. Ahaz, ask me to give you a miracle just to prove to you that you're not going to get wiped out by this invasion. But Ahaz, have you ever been with anybody who's so drippy spiritual? Oh, Ahaz says this, I will, not, I will not ask nor will I test the Lord. Well, you know, when God tells you test me and you go, I'm too spiritual for that, God gets ticked. Then he said through Isaiah, verse 13, listen now, O house of David, is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men? You're now going to try the patience of God as well? Now in that context, a bit ticked, trying to convince Ahaz, God's going to deliver him and his people against this invasion, he got this remarkable verse, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, a miracle, something different that normally doesn't happen every day. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name 
Emmanuel, M-A-N-U, with us, L, God, Emmanuel, God with us. But who would think for a moment it would be literal? Now, it is true that God has multiple fulfillments because the critics will say, yeah, but, but, but what happens is Isaiah's wife, who was young, apparently, a maiden, and, and this word virgin can be translated, the Hebrew word Alma, can be translated a young maiden, and she gives Isaiah two sons. And so the miracle is that God gave two sons to Isaiah, and those sons would grow up, and that's how Ahaz would know that God's going to deliver Israel. Well, I kind of, okay, okay, okay. But then I come to chapter 9, and there's something else going on. See, that's not much of a sign. That's not much of a miracle. Okay, Isaiah, you know, you're old, but you're going to have two picking kids, and they're going to grow up, and that's your miracle. And the reason I don't swallow that is because in chapter 9, he refers back to this child. But there's something else. Listen, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given. Do you know something very careful there? The child is given birth, but the son is not given birth. The son is what? Given. Remember the Lagos? The son of God, he took on flesh. How? By be given birth as a child. And the government will rest on his shoulders. What's that? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. His name shall be called Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. Now, I know you love your kids, and I know you love your grandkids, but you're not going to give them this name, are you? Hi, this is my son, Mighty God. Hi, this is the wonderful counselor over here. And then we got cute little there, you know, perfect Prince of Peace. No. And he says, verse 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government of peace. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and righteousness. For then on and forevermore, the very zeal, the promise of God of hosts will accomplish this. God swears it's going to happen. Now, I have studied Isaiah's two little boys and they did not become kings and they were not given the throne and they did not reign anything ever. So this isn't what Isaiah was talking about, about this child that would come from a virgin. Now, like I said, the word Hebrew word virgin. Now, again, you know, since you don't come to seminary, I bring seminary to you. So crank it up a little bit here, all right? Uh, uh, you all get A's and no papers, so relax. But follow me on this one. Don't let me lose you. The word virgin in the Hebrew is the word alma, like I said. And it's true. It can refer to a young maiden or a virgin. And the only thing is the five times it's used in the Old Testament, every time it refers to, guess what? A virgin. A young maiden who is a virgin. What makes a young maiden a young maiden? She is a, take a wild guess, a virgin. <laughs> now, what's interesting, Rashi. Now, Rashi was, if you talk to some of your Jewish friends, they know the name Rashi. Rashi is the 11th century, one of the most respected Jewish rabbis. And he resisted the Christian faith. He was a Jewish rabbi. But in his interpretation of this passage, here's what he said. Behold, the Alma shall conceive and bear a son. And shall his name, Emmanuel, mean that our creator shall be with us. And this is the sign. The one who will conceive is a girl who never in her life has been intimate with any man. 
Upon this one shall the Holy Spirit have power. It's not just Rashi. The ancient Jewish translators in the third century BC, 300 years before Christmas, they translated, and what's going now, oh, stay with me here, because everybody did not know Hebrew. And, the, and not all the Jews knew Hebrew. A guy named Alexander the Great made everybody learn Greek. Stay with me. So if you only know Greek and your Bible is in Hebrew, you're in trouble, are you not? So they translated, they, 70 scholars translated the Hebrew into Greek. So the rest of the Greek-speaking Jews could read their Bible. And it's called the Septuagint. See the big LXX? That's all it is. But here's the kicker. When they came to this passage, they translated the word Alma, virgin, to the Greek word Parthenos. Say, oh wow, I'm impressed. I'm glad I got up early. No, 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 no. Parthenos basically is the Greek word and it always speaks of a maiden who was a virgin. A maiden who was a virgin. How about a doctor's testimony? We have one doctor in the New Testament and his name was what? Luke. And Luke not only was a doctor, medical doctor, but Luke was a historian. This is how he begins his gospel. He, he, he says, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully, this is 2,000 years ago, from the beginning to write it all out for you in consecutive order. So here is Luke, Dr. Luke, and he says, I investigated all of this what happened. And here's what he said. Luke chapter 1. And now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee called Nazareth. To a Parthenos. To a virgin. Engaged to a man whose name was Joseph. Of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, she did not meet an angel every day. And she's a little bit frightened, wouldn't you say? Because he says, but she was greatly troubled. I love the way the Bible understates things. She was greatly troubled at the statement and kept pondering, what kind of salutation is this? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. You know, he should have led with that. You know, lighten up. I'm not going to here to hurt you. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high, the Lord God, who will give him the throne of his father's David. Do you remember the prophecy of Isaiah 9? This child, the son who comes as a child, will have a kingdom, sit on his father's throne, David. And he will reign over the house of the Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, I love this. How? See, I think Gabriel lost her when he first mentioned you're going to have a child. I don't think she was listening to the rest of it. And why is she so shocked? She tells you, how can this be since I am a Parthenos? I am a what? A virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High 
will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth says conceived, and she's going to come give you a visit. Then you got this great statement, verse 37. For nothing will be impossible with God. Now, I know the critics go, all right, you're telling me a virgin conceived a child? Come on, I'm too smart for that. I know you're so smart. But let me ask you this. Will you give me Genesis 1-1? Because what's Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if God could create the heavens, think it through. If God could create the heavens and the earth, the galaxies, the solar systems, could he place and conceive a child in a womb of a woman? No, I don't think he could pull that one off. <laughs> See, it makes no logical sense for you to deny. And you want to know why people struggle with the virgin birth of Jesus? Because that means Jesus is more than a man. He's a holy child. He's different from us. He is God who took on flesh. Well, 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 maybe Mary, when she hears this, she's going to try to figure it out. That's what we do, right? God tells us he's going to do something. We go, okay, how do we make this happen? So she kind of goes, great. I'm engaged to Joseph. We'll just kind of have a ooh-la-la night, and uh, we'll make this happen because apparently God wants me to have a child. So that's a possibility. The other thing that's out there is that some Roman raped the poor girl, and that's the father of Jesus. And you see how sick things become when people interpret what do they call it? News? That's what would have been on the social news. Well, that didn't happen because Matthew chapter 1 tells us that Joseph said, no, 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 no. Because in chapter 1 of Matthew, Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. He could have had her stone because she committed adultery. They were engaged. That means it was solid. They were going to get married. And he knew he never touched her. And yet he, because he still loved her, was just going to put her away. But that night he has a dream, and guess who shows up? Again, these are easy questions. Gabriel, the same guy, shows up. And then watch what Gabriel says. And he says, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place, but was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, watch this. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child, shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Here's Gabriel in Matthew quoting Isaiah 800 years before, chapter 7, verse 14, that that would be the sign that make this child a holy child. And if this child indeed was the Lagos, the creator of heavens and the earth with the Father, and now has become a child, Maybe more wasn't wrong when he said, Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Lord at thy birth. This is Emmanuel in a womb of Mary. This is the Christmas story. That's why Charles Wesley, when he, he, he wrote about the angels, Mary said, hark, hark. You know, I'll try that this week. When you're in the mall, just go over and see your friends say, Hark. Just, you know, it's not a word used very much anymore, but it means listen up. It says, for the angels were singing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. 
So what, what, what's so special about this birth? This whole Christmas season is about this birth. And what's so special about this birth? It's conception. No father. This was, in the beginning was the word. And God was not alone before all things. The word was with him. That's why God was love. God always loved and cared about the well-being of another. And the first another was the logos. See, I don't understand that. <laughs> I understand my wife, and I've been married with her almost 50 years. That doesn't mean anything if you understand it or not. There's things you understand. Nuclear fission, I don't understand it. Brain surgery, I don't understand it. Solar energy, I don't understand it. So therefore, if I don't understand it, it doesn't exist. Do you see how ludicrous that thinking is? I don't understand how this worked. But apparently, that's exactly what was worked. And that's why it comes down to, am I going to make a choice to believe the truth? Or am I not? How does divinity come to this planet? How does a painter enter his own painting and not get polluted by it? By not having the DNA, not having Adam and all that was passed down from Adam in his DNA. But his DNA, he was the monogenes, the only one, the son of the most highest. But he took on flesh, became a child, so that he could become human like us. So he could be a high priest, somebody who knows what it's like to be human but perfectly innocent. And therefore, he didn't have to die for his sins. He who knew no sin, he was sinless. So if he's sinless by nature, what would happen if he died? Well, his death would have to be the payment for somebody else's sin. And who's that somebody else? And the rest of us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall never perish. You know, Jesus is Lord at thy birth. If he was Lord at his birth, then he's my Lord. And what that means is I do what he says. Well, what's the most important thing Jesus ever said? Remember in Matthew 22, the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, hey, what's the most important thing that God ever said? He says, what's the greatest of all the commands? Do you remember Jesus said that you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind? You go, okay, good, good. And like the lawyer's walking away, Jesus says, hey, come back, I'm not done. Do you remember what Jesus said? And love your neighbor as yourself. What's interesting is he says, upon these two commands, upon these two commands, all things, all things rest. So if Jesus Lord at thy birth, and that makes him my Lord, well then the first thing is I want to do what my Lord wants me to do because he is my Lord, my creator, my savior. And what he wants me to do is to love God. But he says, Daryl, you love God by loving your neighbor. And you know how I know that? Because a freaky thing that Paul does. In Galatians 5.14, Paul says, you want to fulfill the law of Christ you want to do everything Jesus told you to do? You go, yeah. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> you go, wait, wait, wait. Paul, you forgot the first part. We're supposed to love God and then love our neighbor. No. Well, maybe Paul had a, a senior moment, do you think? He just forgot the first part. Well, if Paul forgot the first part, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he did too. 
Because in James chapter two, verse eight, James says, you want to fulfill the royal law of God? Yeah. What is it? And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And you go, Paul, James, you're forgetting the first loving God part. No, they're not. God knows that if all he says is, you figure out a way to love God of all your heart. He knows we're going to do all kinds of screwy things. We're going to have 40,000 denominations and we're all going to fight each other. We're going to go ahead and have hundreds and hundreds of rituals. And you got to do this and this rule and that rule. And it's all loving God. Some of us are going to chop people's heads off and say we do that because we're loving God. You've read it in the newspaper. Do you think God's going to let us decide how we are going to love him? God says, no, I, I won't trust you as far as I can throw you on this one. But he says, I'll tell you how I'm loved. You love me and there's only one way to love God. Only one way to love God. According to Jesus, my Lord. And that's when I love you as my neighbor. Remember what the word love means? All the way from the very beginning, God is love. I care about your well-being. I care about the well-being of people around me. The lady who stole my cart. I care about her well-being. The person who is bumping and gets the last chatty Kathy or whatever it is this year. I still care about their well-being. Here, here, here's what I'm saying. This is why we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, on yon virgin, mother and child, peaceful night. But that's why with the stanza ends with Jesus, Lord at thy birth. Jesus, Lord at thy birth. This is the story of Christmas. People who struggle with the virgin birth of Jesus, they struggle for one reason. Because they don't want Jesus to be more than a man. More than just a man. But he was holy, child. He was more than a man. That's why he could be our savior. That's why he could receive the wrath of God for all of our sin. Because he was the lamb of God. He was perfectly innocent. And there had never been one born like him and born like him. So you say, well, what do we do about this? Well, one, if you've never seriously thought about the story of Christmas, and you're pretty well, if you're going to call it Christmas, now you want to say happy holidays or happy this and that, that's up to you. But if you're going to call this season Christmas, it's about this story. And the question you've got to ask is, does Christmas mean anything to you? Does this story mean anything to you? And if it already has, and you've already trusted. You see, you can't forgive somebody who doesn't believe they need forgiveness. That's why it is repentance. All God asks you to do is just tell the truth. Own up to your need for forgiveness. God, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. Boy, I can't believe the things I've done. Now, I'm better than that guy, you know, but I still, I'm as sinner as anyone else. And I need forgiveness. Do you notice the moment you ask God's forgiveness, you admit you need forgiveness? Not only are you forgiven, but God puts his spirit within your heart, changes you, and gives you this deep desire to honor God, honor God as your father. And you know what follows? All of a sudden, you start caring about the well-being of others. You know why I love this month? Not just because I get to wear my red. You can only get to wear this, you know, a couple days a year. 
and we wear my red socks and make people think I'm a little old and screwy, but I don't care. But you know what's so cool about this month? You can be nice. And people don't think you're weird. In the mall, you can smile. I had this lady, we dropped off some letters. Holly wanted to send off the, the letters to everybody. And there's a little post office, and there's three uh, handicapped parking spaces. So there's all the parkings filled. So I have my little lime green Jeep, and I'm, I'm, park, I'm blocking one of them. But I'm sitting there, and she's running in the mail, and I'm looking around to make sure if anybody wants it, I'm gone. So nobody, 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 nobody. Holly comes, jumps in. I turn, and I said, everything went well. And then, ah! And I look, and there was this sweet lady. And I rolled down the window, and I said, you want to park here, don't you? And I'm blocking you, and I am so sorry. God bless you, and Merry Christmas, and took off. <laughs> And she kind of goes, thank you. <laughs> but you know, she's thinking about me. And she's telling that story. And she's not thinking I am a crazy. But she knows this has something to do with what? Christmas. So here's your walk away. For the next couple of weeks, play nice. Play nice. Because it may just open up an opportunity for people to ask you what makes you play nice. And you can tell them the story. Father, thank you so much for a privilege to be able to share the story with my friends. Lord, may we remember what this season's all about. And even though there's all kinds of weird stuff going on, and maybe we ought to pray at times, Father, forgive us our Christmases as we forgive those who Christmas against us. But Father, let us not distract us. If it's trees, let us just remember. Hope, love is wide. As high as hope. Father, that the tree is simply a symbol of life. Father, if people get all weirded out about Santa Claus, help them relax. Remember in the fourth century, the Bishop of Myra. What a wonderful man. Nicholas loved children. So much so that he, after he died, he'd be remembered for loving so many children. And some people make an elf out of him. But Father, we could still tell the real story. Packages, gifts. Father, could it just be the fact that we're expressing our care for the well-being of those around us and we want to bless them? And so, Father, let us not get all blue and down about the season, even with all the abuses. In other words, Lord, I pray we would play nice. In the name of Jesus, I ask. And God's people said, amen. amen. Merry Christmas. Amen. Can we thank Dr. David? Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.